Welcome to the Wise Roots podcast. My name is Hugo Menard, and my guest today is Andra Didier. Andra's work is around integration. She holds transformational spaces for humans wanting to move out of what she calls the darkness and deadness, aka depressive tendencies or dark night of the soul, toward feeling alive, connected, and peaceful. She also supports people to integrate the highs and lows of spiritual awakening and insights from altered states of consciousness. She blends powerful mystical practices with current scientific knowing for true authentic transformation. And this comes from her own experience of going through such experiences. She has done so much training that going through it all would legitimately take uh, too much time. Her studies span from ancient practices like mindfulness, yoga, and Buddhism to a master's of science in consciousness, spirituality, and transpersonal psychology, uh, to kundalini dance, to somatic work, and so much in between. So welcome, Andrew. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Hugo. Where I would like to start is your work with uh, people who've had far out mystical experiences. What are some of those experiences uh, beyond the words we use like spiritual awakening and uh, such in terms of what does that look like for a person and feel like? Mm, Yeah, well, it can feel really scary. Um, Really, really scary because a lot of these people come to these experiences from spiritual practices so not psychedelics or um or any sort of medication that one would take but from spiritual practices it takes them into an altered state and it can can be really really scary and they vary greatly so for some people it can be energetic sensations in the body so for the longest time the body is just material and all of a sudden there's heat and vibration and tingliness and like really the sensation of energy moving inside the body can be overwhelming for some people and some in the yogic system it's called kundalini awakening and there's a huge range of academic information on that for some people they have um sort of what uh what is deemed to be sort of shamanic type of initiations which uh, take people into visionary states of dying um, to like a a deep, deep level of darkness to meet their shadows, to meet um, like devils or, or, or spirits so that they die and then they can be reborn. Other people, um, which is what I had is uh, called the activation of the central archetype which again comes with visions and hearing voices and energetic sensations and synchronicities where like the core sense of the self, like the central archetype is awakened. And once that central archetype is awakened, then the old self dies. And again, very scary, very disintegrating um, process. But then once it comes to a completion can be really beautiful because people come to the other side more altruistic, more connected, um, with a deeper sense of like their inner values as opposed to anything that comes from the outside society or culture. Um, some other type of experiences that people can have are um, near-death experiences. So coming to the edge of death and again, being you know very materialistic, physical, atheist their whole entire life, and all of a sudden 
feeling like, oh, there's something more here, right? Like a lot of people, and there's been so much research done on this, of very similar visionary experiences of moving through a dark tunnel, seeing a light and feeling welcomed at the end of that tunnel. People yeah. come back to life and they say, I'm like, again, their whole perception has just drastically changed, right? Um, other people have um, visions of like angels um, and they feel like they're being uh, either possessed by something else. So they'll feel like a, an energetic presence, like this is not me. I feel it in my body, but it's not me. And it's not, it's not what, you know, um, maybe psychiatry would label, um, oh, uh, oh dear, the word, uh, like multiple personality disorder. It's mm -hmm. something completely different, right? Because again, if these experiences are held in the right container, they people come drastically transformed towards positive, um, positive behaviors, positive relationships, positive outlook on life. Like they just they become, they can they can become like leaders in their community, right? Yeah. So those are some some of the major ones, and uh, um, and and we can go into any one of those deeper if you wish. Well, I suppose where for me it gets interesting then is what's the process of working with that in a world that doesn't really acknowledge that yeah. in sort of a mainstream way. So can you talk about the the process and talking about that process might incorporate sort of specific types of experiences that people have had. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's really sad that for some people going through these experiences that they do end up being institutionalized um, and they do get medicated. Right. So it's, and once people are um, put on medications, it kind of halts the process. It slows it down. And unless, unless individuals have the container to go back to these experiences and process what was left unprocessed, then their development kind of halts. There's a little, I don't, I don't want to say the word blockage, but there's, um, there's a resistance that's, 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 that they're coming up against. So ideally, I mean, my ultimate vision would be to have retreat settings where people can are undergoing these experiences and they can be held in a community, in a space, because people can have, they can enter really scary states, right? And once people start seeing things and hearing things and feeling things and knowing things that they haven't been privy to before, they need a strong container that's able to hold them, that can give them food, housing, that they can relax into the experience. But those are for the extreme states, right? And there are some, um, well, there used to be quite a couple in California where there were these retreat settings that were supporting people going through these extreme types of spiritual experiences. But unfortunately, it's closed down. Um, so the other possibility is that when people are aware that they're going through these experiences and they still have like a, 
they still have enough flexibility in the self that they realize that they're going through a transformation and that they need help. Um, and usually they know, for me, the people that approach me, they know that they're going through, that what's happening to them is from spiritual practice, right? right. So yeah. they, they say, you know, oh, I attended, like, for example, a, like a family constellation um, workshop. And after that, I feel like there's a being in my body. Right. Yeah. So they can link it to something specific. And of course, there's always the fuzzy line of is it a spiritual awakening experience or is it is it psychosis? Right. And the thing is that neither of these have sort of like a material basis. Like we have we have no idea <laughs> right? like we have absolutely no idea what's going on with our reality and in our mind and our consciousness and what truth actually is we can have a lot of theories about it and we can have a lot of different experiences but what the actual truth is like i i'm not going to say that i know what it is right but the whole idea is that if if individuals are going through these experiences and if it's their first type of these experiences, then likely it's due to spiritual practice, not to psychosis, right? Not to something that is, yeah. um, that is emerging, that is an issue that needs to be pathologized and they need to, you know, be supported in that way. Mm. And something you mentioned is that you have these, you know, wonderful expanded states states of consciousness and then you also have people where it's like part of them is dying is there a well one is do you have any idea on why some people experience the wonders and then others experience these horrific um deaths or and i'm sure there's more there um and then also is there a difference in how you go about um working with that whether it's with yourself or if someone comes to work with you um usually both both experiences even if it's the heights after the heights there's usually a drop people don't stay in the heights typically mm -hmm. so they still experience a drop um into sort of like the darkness and losing parts of selves and if they've experienced the height it's actually a little bit easier to work with because they've, they've seen the peak of what is possible, right? And even if they mm -hmm. maybe have thoughts about, am I crazy? Was this real? What am I supposed to do with this? Like, who am I? What am I doing in the world? Like, what is money? Why do I feel, you know, the sadness of people on the bus or anything like that? It's, a, it's, it's easier to integrate. If people only go into the darkness, then there's... Um, it's a little bit more challenging because there isn't that sort of uh, that balance for them that they haven't gone into the heights to now go into the depths, that they're only going into the depths. So it can be a little bit more scary and they need a lot more compassionate and um, like just a safe space for them to unravel and to speak about their experiences so that they feel completely held and listened to. and heard and respected in that um mm. do people 
experience multiples of these or is this more of a kind of you experience one big one and then you might have a few small insights later on um i think the the first one is the scary one for people because they don't mm -hmm. know what to do they don't know necessarily how to ground um how to come back down to sort of like this physical reality right once people traverse into these states then there's a little bit of experience. They know how to come back down, right? Then there's a little bit more trust, right? Like, oh, I'm feeling like an overwhelm of energy in my body as opposed to being scared about it. There's a little bit more of acceptance once they've already gone through it. Um, mm -hmm. And it just, it depends on how far people go, but it's ultimately, it's an altered state, right? So, so people can enter these altered states multiple times depending on where they are in their journey um archaeological or not archaeologically um astrologically as well there's a lot of influences from astrology depending um, that kind of um influences what individuals can experience in an altered state so it's it it greatly varies it greatly varies yeah and i mean that's something else you uh, you mentioned um when I was doing research on, on your website, is that th these states are easier to access than we might think. Can you talk about that? And I suppose the follow-up to it is, should we try to access these states? Yeah. Because you also talk about them being, you know, part of healing and being healthy. It, it can That can be an important component. Definitely. Um, I strongly believe that they are healing. Uh, and I think that they're extremely important for humanity, especially for Westerners, to realize that we do have this potential, we do have this tool that's accessible to us. And people can enter into altered states of consciousness, I mean, from like dreaming. Dreaming is an altered state of consciousness, right? Um, fasting is another modality that can take people there. Um, all the Wim Hof stuff that's really popular right now with the cold dips and the breathing that takes people into an altered state of consciousness. You do that for, you know, enough hours in a day, consecutively enough, for long enough, like you will, you will have a spiritual awakening experience. You will enter a mystical state. You will break the barrier between the physical and the non-material. Like you will start, you will, like, it doesn't matter what will happen, but things will happen to you if you do it enough um dancing as well if you do enough certain like even head to head sorry um side to side movements with your head you do that for long enough you will enter an upstairs state <laughs> um like you know meditation you practice enough meditation a day even if you're just focusing on your breath if you do that for an hour two hours three hours a day every single day for long enough you will have one of these experiences right and right yeah it's what i'm trying to say here is that it's just and it really depends on the individual as well because the individual needs to have a certain amount of flexibility in the self and their conception of reality to be able to um sort of what i like like tip over into these states because there is a tipping point there's almost a veil that you feel that you pass over and you realize that something is different whether it's your vision your hearing your um like your kinesthetic senses or you 
you know, there's just, there's a different sense that becomes awakened in once you tip over. So I, I do think it depends on the personality. And also I think that if you do anything frequently enough and for long enough, that this is possible. You want to have a mystical experience, you will have one. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it just, just give it, give it enough time, right? Um, Any the, words of wisdom or yeah. guidance for people who are doing this and where this might hit them out of nowhere? Make sure you have a guide, right? Like if you're right. if you're going through this, and I get it. Like in especially in the Western world, we're so individualistic and we're taught to do everything on our own, right? Like pick up a meditation book or watch some YouTube videos and like just meditate and everything will be fine. And Sure, but we also hold a lot of trauma and pain in our body, which any sort of spiritual practice will poke at, will excavate. And if you don't have somebody that's there to support you, that has the wisdom of how to navigate these altered states, it's it can bring a lot of fear. And I think it can be dangerous ultimately because it can disconnect you from reality to such a point that you've lost your tethering to this world and we want i ideally i think speaking for myself i think it would be important for us to to be tethered to both realities right to have the tether to this physical reality where you know we have to worry about income and rent and food for our bodies and make sure that we're cleaning ourselves properly and drinking enough water, et cetera. But also we wanna be tethered to the spiritual reality as well because there's so much purpose and meaning and beauty and power and strength and just understanding that comes when we can connect to the spiritual reality as well. So the beauty of both is that we want, to, and this is where my work comes in is, is integrating both, not one or the other, but, but bringing, both together and really appreciating both as opposed to just you know transcending off into the spiritual reality and thinking that you know our journey with our journeys with our spirit guides are the best part of life <laughs> sure definitely but also your journeys with your friends and your family on earth are also can also be the best part of life right so just remembering that we are humans we do have a spiritual connection. So just, just yeah, integrating both of them. And in that integration, if someone comes to you and says, you know, I've had this experience or I'm having this experience at the moment, and I'm not sure if there's a, you can put words to this, but can you talk at all about what that process is like when you're working with someone or when they're going through this? What are the tangible things what does it look like for someone to integrate this it really depends where they're at so it depends on how grounded they are um so if they have a relatively like solid support system it might just be a gentle encouragement that what they're doing is fine to keep on going that it's okay mm -hmm. yeah. but if they're going too far and they're not able to um to sort of understand and put meaning to the experiences that they're having like if they're starting to have conversations with angels um and they're beginning to that that's their daily experience that 
that if that becomes too much that they need to ground, right? So grounding becomes things like spending time in nature, eating heavier foods, um, physical exercise, like not yoga, but like jogging and jumping and working with weights, all of these things that just ground their energy. Uh, and sometimes it yeah. comes to halting spiritual practice that that can be a place as well because if they're scared if they're um worried that they're going crazy and they're freezing up and the whole nervous system is freezing up then we need to ground to relax and then re-engage spiritual practice right but we can't engage our practices when our whole central nervous system is scared about what's happening because then it just it's just not helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And that grounding, is that um, the process whether someone has had a high or a low? Is, yeah. is it just getting back? Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, because we just want to bring them back into like the physical reality, like this plane of existence. Right. Um, yeah. But with that said, if they've had, if, if they've gone into the depths, sometimes it, it's a lot more just sitting with what has been seen and experienced and giving voice to those different parts of the self. Um, I do strongly believe that a, a lot of what we see in altered states isn't necessarily real. It's, it's symbolic and there's meaning to it. And it's up to us as an individual with agency and a conscious awareness to put meaning to what we're seeing and hearing so that we can create a cohesive story. And that's the idea of integration that we we don't just have these experiences and say, whoa, that was scary or whoa, that was so cool, bro. <laughs> but like, how do we weave a story together so that we can create meaning and keep on moving down the evolutionary path? Mm. Well, because that was something else I found really interesting in your work was the the active use of stories, myths, archetypes. Is there more to that in the... Um, well, I'll just leave that. Is is there more to that than trying to weave in and understand these uh, mystical experiences? Well, it's really for the like for the individual to create meaning out of the experience, right? To be able to plot it in their narrative that this is what happened to me and this is what I make out of it. But on the other hand, there are mythical stories with archetypes that are thousands of years old that can bring a lot of meaning to the individual, right? Like the story of, of Inanna and Erishkigal. And Inanna is the queen of heaven and earth and Erishkigal is the queen of the underworld. And to make a short story very short, basically Inanna hears the calling of Erishkigal, right? So Inanna is called to the underworld and she traverses through these seven gates and at each gate she's had to she has to let go of a part of herself and she she's asked who are you who are you repeatedly and finally she she reaches um the underworld and she sees a risk and she completely dies because she sees all of the shadows all of the bits of herself that she's hidden away that she hasn't looked at and once you see all of your darkness, you, you're, you have to die to the old self. The old self completely dies. Once the old self completely dies, there's a period of transformation, the transfiguration into the new, into the rebirth of the new self. And then the new self comes back up 
to you know the earth again with a new idea sense of self so even just create is sharing these myths that are like like so old right like inanna and erishkigal are come from sumerian times they're i think like it's a story that's five thousand years old so bringing these stories into our modern day and into our modern life just helps people in the process of creating meaning like oh okay what's happening to me here as i go into the depths and have these negative experiences quote unquote um oh am i rebirthing myself is that what's happening to me right now right and and just to offer this story that this is a possibility this is a possible map of what's happening to you then people can choose to extract meaning from that as they wish in their new construction of their self i just want to pick up on something that you said about when you see the your shadows you die um can you explain more of that because i am very aware of some of my shadows and i know that many people are aware of parts of themselves that they don't like or would be considered shadows um but there there isn't a death or it's more like the work becomes working with the shadow rather than a kind of seeing it results in a death mm, yeah and this is the idea of the story right the myth says that once you see your shadow that the old self dies and it does right because the old self has the story in their mind of who i me myself believe myself to be but once i see my shadows then i have a completely different image of myself so it's not that the self itself the personality dies but the the image of the self dies the old self that we knew ourselves to be passes away once we see the shadow right as soon as we're aware to it it's like oh i am not this person anymore right like for myself i never thought myself to be an angry person and then i realized that i actually have a lot of anger in my system and that that was a huge shadow for me because i just shoved it away as soon as i saw that i my whole sense of self changed it died and there was something new because i realized that anger was a part of me as opposed to oh i'm a peaceful spiritual person <laughs> that's super loving and compassionate yes and there's anger here too so then there's a new self that emerges there's a rebirth that happens once we meet our shadows yeah and in doing this work what are some of the threads that you take from the the more ancient practices like like buddhism and, and yoga and then what's the perspective of more modern uh science that we have can you talk about that interweaving mm -hmm. process mm -hmm. yeah um, I think the more modern science comes from my um, my master studies. So bringing in um, bringing in like neuroscience, like modern philosophical thinking around altered state of consciousness. What altered state of consciousness? Um, what they are, uh, and also bringing a solid understanding of the the nervous system. Um, just using mm -hmm. the body. That's really really important. Um, because a lot of these, um, uh, once we go into altered states, we're basically, to some extent, we're working with the nervous system, right? So we want to be able to 
have the nervous system be in a safe, calm, grounded place um, so that we can continue to, to explore. So the nervous system um, and philosophy and neuroscience and modern consciousness research is sort of the scientific side. And then the mystical practices is um, I use a lot of uh, dance and movement um, and bringing like um, an essence of psychodrama, which <laughs> it's uh, even though like Western psychology says, oh, this was just created like this century. <laughs> psychodrama has been like again thousands of years old of practice where people go through um you know various dramatic enactments enactments to uh to receive some sort of transformation of the self so that's one example um also using um like meditation and grounding practices uh, using um, sound and using the voice as well. Like in yogic systems, there's a lot of that can be done with um, with sounds and with the breath, uh, just to again calm the system, to ground the system, so that we can look at things from a much more stable ground. So, yeah. um, and also, I mean, I'm quite mystical myself, and I'm quite like intellectual myself as well so even though you know i question reality and what it is for me like my experience is mystical i think that spirituality is something that i can experience and that i am connected to and you are connected to and you can also experience and have your own understanding of it right in your own relationship with it um and i think that's that's quite mystical as well um and bringing in visionary experiences, right? So um, listening to music or certain drumming and allowing people to, to dream, right? To have, to have a process of integration in a state of dreaming and what comes, what comes about in that dream and looking again at what comes through as symbolically and taking the little bits and again, creating a story out of it. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of different threads, I think, that are important when we work with altered states, that, that looking at things intellectually is extremely important so that we can be rational and use our full mental capacity, but also that we can sort of relax into the experience of what mysticism is and what spirituality is so that we can, again, just bring the two together. You mentioned uh, modern science trying to understand what the hell is going on with mystical experiences. What is the current understanding that modern science has of these uh, experiences? Yeah, well, it's it it shifts, right? So it depends on what camp you're in. <laughs> so oh, <okay>. if <laughs> if people um, if if academics are very materialistic they still think that um, these states are, that our experiences in these altered states of consciousness are to be pathologized, excuse me. Versus um, if, uh, if academics tend to be a little bit more open-minded, flexible, curious, um, also have an ability to look at the research that's, that's, really coming through in the last few decades they tend to 
call for what's called like a, a post-materialistic science. So there's a huge group of academics that are really like just saying to other academics, there's all this research, let's look at this. People are having these experiences. They can be really beneficial. Um, let's be a little bit more flexible in the way that we are talking about reality, that it's not just material things of atoms, but that there's something more. Um, as well with quantum physics, I think in the last century has really pushed the boundary of materialism and things happening at a distance. Uh, but just the disconnection with that is, okay, so it's happening, you know, at a very minuscule distance, but what happens at a, yeah. a, a like at a macro uh, level? Yeah, at a macro level, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but now as well, like it's it's really fascinating because uh, there's this tip over in research with qualitative research before, for since sort of like the beginning of science, it was all about numbers and statistics and graphs. Uh, and now we're looking at experiences qualitatively. So we're getting people's stories. We're getting people's language for experiences. And that, I think, is really opening up psychology and really sort of um, changing the narrative of reality and changing the narrative on mystical experiences. As well, in the last couple of decades, the explosion with meditation practice and psychedelic research is now you know we can hook people up to mris and see what's going on in the brain and they can see that when people do enter these altered states of consciousness that something does actually happen in the brain and that uh that people have positive experiences afterward that they undergo a positive like transformation of the personality of how they are with their community and, and it's not just something that's been measured um inside the individual like not just their sense of themselves having changed but also from their community their community looks at them as like whatever happened with that mystical experience that that has transformed them to be a much more pleasant person to be around and uh, and the idea now as well with psychedelics, especially in the last decade or so, is that, uh, you know, you give, some, you give somebody a little pill and they, if you, give, if you give them enough of it and a large dose, they will have a mystical experience, right? Like it, it can also, it can be, um, it's predictable. Whereas before, mm -hmm. right, like, you know, okay, you've been meditating <laughs> for X amount of decades, but is this meditation in this like experimental room actually gonna take you into an altered state of consciousness? It was a little bit more challenging to measure, but now with, yeah. with the research on psilocybin and LSD and some others, but those two specifically, uh, we can predict mystical experiences and we can hook people up, we can see what's going on in their brain, and, and we can see that it, it, there's, a, if these experiences are held in a safe manner with proper guides, that they can have a 
like very, very positive transformation afterwards. Yeah. You on, on your website, you have a really remarkable quote by Jung. Um, and I'd like to talk about it a little bit. So I'll read it out first um, and then we can discuss it. Um, so the quote goes, um, the main interest of my work is not concerned with the treatment of neurosis, but rather with the approach to the numinous. And um, I had to Google the word numinous. It means, uh, for anyone listening, uh, like presence of divinity, supernatural, um, th that kind of thing. Uh, so it's with the approach to the numinous. Um, but the fact is that the approach to the numinous is the real therapy. And in as much as you attain to the numinous, experiences you are released from the cure of pathology. Even the very diseases takes a numinous character. So for me, that seems to be saying that if you get to high enough states, let's say, it's like the, the trauma rewrites itself or is released. Is that a... An, what what do you think of of that uh, interpretation, and yet yeah, the the deeper understanding of that quote? Yeah, um, I I think that yes, that is possible that people can reach um, you know these mystical states and be able to rewrite the story that they've been holding for their whole lives. Definitely, and people can reach these these mystical states and use them as a mechanism to bypass the stories of their life that hold pain and trauma mm -hmm. so it it can go either way right and that's why i say it's really important to have a guide who knows how to traverse these realms to be able to be supported so that it becomes more of an ability to rewrite the stories as opposed to just bypassing the pain and suffering of being human. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How does that land? Yeah. yeah. That, I think that lands accurately because one of the thoughts I had was, okay, how do you get to those high states without trying to bypass? Um, yeah. Because so I suppose the, the place I'm at in my current understanding is currently with the dichotomy of going to very high states seems to be able to rewrite traumas and going into the trauma seems to allow you to access high states. Uh, and so it's trying to understand how that fits together. And I think that's yeah. what drew me to the quote was, oh, Jung, you know, one of these brilliant minds spoke to that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's so true, right? That when people do go into their trauma, they do have mystical experiences, right? Like this is something that happens in therapy work, one-on-one -on -one and in group settings all the time. The, the, if people are safely held in their traumatic experience, their revisitation of their traumatic experience, their whole face just lights up. They have this this like the glow to them that's like actually known for therapists, right? Like they their people's face lights up, their eyes lighten up, they have like a little sheen to their eyes. It just looks like they've, you know, just gone like gone back in time and like done the opposite of aging, right? Like they just look younger and lighter. Um, so there's that. And also, yeah, definitely if people and 
both of them require proper holding, right? So just making yeah. sure that, that people seek out safe like space holders for them to, to either go into the traumatic experiences or to go into the numinous states. Because going by oneself, um, I think, like I was saying, I think can be a little bit dangerous, can be a little bit, um, you know, one can lose themselves a little bit in, in either or, right? You can get lost in the depths and you can get lost in the heights. So we, and we want to just be able to tip into these places, experience what we need to experience, come back to the middle point of where we are, right? Like our, our shared reality and then create meaning out of those stories. And same thing with the traumatic experience, right? Like we, we go, we go through the story in whichever modality we do, we come back to this place and then we integrate it. How was it for you to do that with me right now? Right. How was it for you to, you know, take psilocybin, you know, and sit with me for six hours? Like, what did you see? Like, let's talk about it. Let's come back into the relational space and talk about it. What happened, right? Like, tell me about it. What meaning are you making out of it? How was that for you? What are you going to do with it? Is it just going to be like, wow, that was a cool experience? Or can we actually tether it in into reality and affect transformation? Right? Like, for example, if people, you know, if people have a psilocybin journey, and they go into the heights, and they feel like how connected they are to nature, and everything's blissful and peaceful okay and then are you gonna keep using plastic bags from the grocery store and eating a bunch of sugar and you know not caring that old growth trees are being cut down <laughs> or are you gonna use that knowledge and i don't know become an activist or donate money to tree sisters or you know whatever it is right and same thing with the depths like you can go you know you can have an experience in the depths where you're like wow earth is sad <laughs> like we are we are killing so much life on this planet and it's sad and i can't connect to wildness where i am right like that's that's a depth of sadness and depression and such gravity and again, do we come back to the here and now just being like, oh, that was a terrible experience? Or do we take that, okay, what do I do with this? How, what behaviors in my day-to-day -day life can I shift so that this insight that I received can actually be grounded in my being? That I can move forward from this changed, transformed, altered, you know, a better person just to keep on stepping forward as opposed to just like, cool, that was an awesome journey, which I think, which, you know, I think is happening a lot in the Western world. Yeah. Yeah. That sort of brings me to this idea that really changed the way I see things um, on the idea of depression. And it was that depression is a reasonable response to the unreasonable and hard things that we face in life. And so given that people, you know, if they're having these experiences, can experience things far worse than sort of everyday life, 
how do you even go about integrating that if the if it's there because the outside world is so hard yeah and that's small so question true. you know yeah that's so true yeah. right like our world is so hard and there is so much suffering and there is so much pain and systems are just collapsing right like yeah. and it's the global systems are collapsing and we have huge issues to contend with huge issues that we're not even looking at it societally like it just it just blows my mind that we're not speaking about it more that we're not angry about it that we're not allowed to protest about it that we're just meant to keep going to our nine to five jobs and pretend like everything is fine when everything is collapsing around us and yeah people should be depressed people should have serious anxiety if you don't then there might be something wrong with you right and yeah. and not to say wrong to pathologize but like there's an issue if you don't have an issue with what's going on in the world right now if there's no pain or suffering that you're experiencing with what's happening but also to use to use the depression the anxiety as a sort of messenger right like how do we use these as messengers to feed back into our lives so there's something wrong what can i do about it is it you know is it becoming a better person more loving more compassionate more understanding more wise in my own life to become the leader that i would like to see you know political leaders be like how do we how do we actually begin to take our own power back and to to live our life from like a central place of not just expecting other people to do things or to not see that there's so much wrong in the world yeah i went on a little bit of a rant there but yeah <laughs> like but it, it's just it's so true right like yes of course we're depressed of course we're anxious and there's full reason for that and maybe that's not something necessarily that we can quote unquote heal or should heal, but we should use it as a messenger for things that need to change in our lives. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just such a big thing that it's, um, there are so many different approaches or, or ideas on it because mm -hmm. the, the sort of flip side of that, and I don't know where I stand on any of these, the flip side of that is saying, well, there's this idea that the external world is a mirror of what's going on inside and so if you hear what's going on inside then that's how you change the external world going okay but like it, it's still um one of those things that at least for me i, I still need to sit with and, and work with and, and try and yeah understand that better and also but so again like there i think there's some wisdom to that but then there's also the the possibility of using that to bypass right like oh if i just focus on my yeah. internal sense then i can ignore what's happening in the world and yes there's the truth to that is that you know what's going on internally is where my power lies right so i can um i can work on how i respond to my partner or to you know i don't know somebody that drives me mad on the road right like i can i can work on that and improve that or i can um i can practice how i engage somebody who makes a racist comment in front of me right like or 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 i can 
you know, I can practice being grounded when somebody is like publicly angry and fighting somebody in front of me. Sure. And <laughs> um, like just saying that what's happening externally is what's happening inside of us. Well, I know some like beautiful, peaceful like <laughs> elders and they still yeah. see the outside world as deeply traumatizing, right? Like as deeply painful because there's so much badness going on. So I don't know. Like, I think, I, I don't know. I think that's, I think that's like a, like a new age truth, which like has some truth to it. But then there's also like these deeper complexities that like it doesn't yeah. necessarily kind of speak to. And, and just saying that everything is purely a mirror of what's going on inside, again, like it just, it, it misses the stuff that like, yes, we are sort of, you know, like the queen of our reality or the king of our reality, but then are we saying that there's absolutely no objective truth? Yeah. And yeah, this is the, the I part where I go, okay, how far can you take take these ideas? Yeah. Can you share a little bit about your story and journey into how you got here and your own experience with the, the mystical? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was one of those people that um, was, uh, I was brought up Christian or Catholic Orthodox in Romania and I was always taken to church and you know told to sit down and be quiet and listen to the man up front giving the lecture around who God is and the lessons of the day and that didn't jive with me <laughs> yeah so <laughs> I did not I did not find religion attractive to me whatsoever and uh and then in my early 20s i was facing depression and suicidal thoughts and i began to contemplate um ending my life and at first it was it was just a thought and then i began to wonder like well if i were to just jump off the balcony and to just visualize that for myself well that would and then i started to think well that would be a Pretty quick death. I wouldn't necessarily feel any pain. I would just die basically instantaneously. So once I started planning my own suicide, is once I realized that something needed to change. Um, so I convinced my partner to leave uh, Canada, where we currently were living, and to move to Thailand. And um, and during this time of transition, I had also like just randomly picked up a book by the Dalai Lama, and I picked up a meditation book because the bookstore uh, across the street from where I was living was closing down, and they were having like a 70% sale or something. So I was like, oh, I just bought a bunch of books, right? So I picked up these two books, and I read the Dalai Lama's book, and it was how to find happiness in a in a crazy world or I can't remember exactly the title now but it planted a seed and 
and then I read the meditation book and then I just started practicing meditation on my own and in my times in Thailand I I got um pretty into mindfulness meditation and I was I took like the five precepts in Zen meditation in the tradition of Thich Nhat Hanh and I began to experience peace. I began to experience like a relaxation. I began to sort of um, distance myself from what was happening in my mind that I could see it as something that was constantly changing um, that didn't necessarily have truth to it that I could distance myself and just become sort of an observer to what was happening to my mind and that brought so much relaxation to my system and and I had already been practicing yoga for for quite a long time by this point and um, and because I had the financial means in Thailand I started attending workshops and going to um, like uh, living in a mindfulness community for an extended period of time where there was a lot of healing work and um, there were therapists uh, on site that were working with me and many others and it was just a beautiful he healing experience and I and I started experiencing like energy during these sessions and I would go into altered states but I was just sort of like oh that's cool like I'm still an atheist <laughs> like, <laughs> like I just I didn't I didn't do anything with the information like I didn't even let it land like that's how solid my system was like I was an atheist it was only in the material world and after I died that was it there was no spirituality whatsoever so even though I had these experiences I was just like Meh. and um and I still I kept going through them and then I um I decided to deepen my yoga practice and I decided to go to stay in an ashram in India. And I stayed there for about six weeks. And uh, that's when things started to shift for me. So during this ashram, I was in an extensive, deep spiritual practice, like from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m., seven days a week. And I started um, just like my the things that really started to change were my dreams and my sense of smell and like I could my like my body odor changed like I, I smelled sweet to myself even if I was sweaty and hadn't showered and you know had done two yoga practices that day like it wasn't like oh, I smell gross, I should shower. It was, wow, I smell like a flower. <laughs> and uh, and there were other changes as well, like just the way that I was moving through space felt like I was almost levitating. And um, so there were these subtle changes and also in my in my face as well, like my eyes just were glistening. They were so shiny and uh, then I returned to Bangkok where I was currently living and that's when I noticed the biggest changes because I um, 
I was blissed out 24 seven. Nothing that anybody did could like knock me out of my bliss. Like absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing. And um, yeah, and and I started kind of like I was teaching mindfulness to children at this time. And, and during my mindfulness teacher training, they taught us to imagine ourselves that we're blowing up our, um, like our physical energy to encompass the whole classroom. And I started actually doing that once I came back to Bangkok and I had students like turning to me while I was doing that. And like, they would pick up on it and like just so many just so many like non-ordinary experiences in waking life right like that was just one of them like kids would literally want to sit on me like they could not be close enough to me i had people wanting to like date me that would just come up to me on the street and be like i don't know what it is about you but like can i take you out to lunch like it was just and i had never experienced something like this before like it was just it was insane basically like it was just it was like I thought, I thought I was enlightened, right? I was like, oh, all of my meditation and yoga practices has has made me enlightened. I have reached the peak, and um, I was completely naive, right? I was completely naive. So, so there was there were some other experiences, but slowly and surely after after a few months, I started to lose the state that I had. And I even increased my meditation hours, but it just it literally just felt like slant sand was just slipping through my fingers. I couldn't hold on to it as much as I, I would try to hold on to the presencing, the bliss, the joy, the connection the state that I was in, it just, it was just slipping through. And um, I lost it. But after I lost it, I kept doing my meditations. And then in the depths of it is when it started getting really scary for me. Because not only did I lose my bliss, but I also started, um, like I would have really intense visions in my meditation practice and there was a lot of energy in my body where to the point where I couldn't sit still because I was just trembling and I couldn't like put my fingers together because there was so much energy that I like they just they couldn't stay together I couldn't close my eyes in meditation because there was so much energy you know in yoga tradition it's in the third eye and um, I got really scared. And, and then the synchronicities that were happening were just overwhelming to me. Like I, would, I had this whole journey with the hexagon where the hexagon just kept popping up everywhere. <laughs> like everything that I was looking at, reading at, it, just, it was just everywhere. The hexagon, the hexagon, the hexagon. And it, it was just too much. It was overwhelming. I couldn't integrate it. I didn't know what to do with it. Like I felt like I was losing my grounding. I couldn't meditate anymore. And yet I was still trying. I couldn't make sense of it. I thought I was going crazy. I was completely scared. I tried to talk to people about it. Nobody could help me. Nobody knew what was going on. 
um, strangely, because I don't even understand how that happened. But I was basically like completely scared. And, um, and then I had to kind of figure my own way through it. So I stopped my meditation practices. I mean, I couldn't do them anymore anyways. Like I couldn't, I couldn't find the stillness. Like now I, you know, now I would be like, well, if I wanted to, cause there was another thing, like I would just, I would want to move my body and I'd be like, no, but like I'm a, I received training in Zen meditation, which is be as still as possible. Anything that you see or feel, just ignore it and keep focusing on the breath. When really, if you're having that sort of intense, ex like, yes, that's the truth. But once you reach these states, then you want to allow the expression to happen. So for me, it was my shoulder and my shoulder just wanted to do these, you know, these strange, like waving motions, which is really just the energy in my shoulder wanted to um, release. Right? Like there was healing there that was coming from my body in a very natural way. And I just, I, my brain, because it was so scared, it, did, it didn't want to allow to, to let that happen. Wow. So it, it was just extremely scary. But once I stopped my meditation practices, then, um, and I mean, I was meditating like two, three hours a day and I was doing breath work and visualization. Like I was doing like intense yogic meditations at this point. I wasn't just doing Zen meditation. And uh, once I stopped those, then I started to ground again. But the interesting thing for me, like you asked this question earlier, is, you know, what happened? Like, do people enter these states multiple times in their, in their lives? So for me, I stopped for some time. But then once I started my, um, my master's program, again, I started meditating again. And again, all the experiences that I was ex experiencing previously, like bubbled up to the surface. It was like, I just picked up where I was. But now I had a support system. Now I knew of the term spiritual emergency. Now I knew I had therapists that I could, you know, um, connect with and like have them sit down with me so that they could help me talk through what was happening to me that I could be supported that there were other people that I could connect to in my community that I felt held right um and even and even like it it just it was a very very long I mean you know years many years to finally come to a place of <sighs> okay, I'm I'm okay, right? Yeah. Okay. So basically, this whole experience and this this just the 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 visions and I mean, there was just so much more. But basically, for me, it was the central archetype that was activated, which was the leader, and sort of um, like. I don't necessarily connect to this, but I haven't yet found a word that quite says it as well, which is just like priestess energy. So this whole priestess leadership, crone-like energy that was activated. And once I could pick that up, then it was like, okay, so how do I build my life around this, this self that I see myself to be or in process of becoming? Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Um, could you 
finally just share a bit about how people can work with you and where they can find out more about you. And I'll put any links in the description of the episode. Yeah, um, my website is a great place for people to land if they're curious to find out more. And, um, and there's um, there's a little bit more information that will go up there around like uh, the benefit and um, the pitfalls of altered states of consciousness and and different things like that, just so that people can find resources if they don't necessarily feel comfortable, like you know, working with me that that they can even contact me to receive um, uh, suggestions on, on where they can go. I do hope that people find support and then they don't go through these transformations alone, <laughs> that yeah. they, um, right, like even if it's not from me, but just from somebody that they don't have to do it alone, that there's there's a huge community of people that, have traversed these states and have become grounded individuals in society. Um, and, and if they want to, they can, they can do that too. It's not a scary place. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you, Hugo. You've been listening to the Wise Roots podcast. If you want to find out more about this work or contact me, you can find the info in the description of this podcast. If you like this, please share it around.